Today's guest is Dr. Todd Cooney, who grew up in a small town in Indiana and decided to become a vet after being inspired by James Herriot's books, which were his prescribed textbooks in high school. He had another significant event which influenced his decision to become a vet, which was when his dog, who was his best friend, called Sam, ran blindly into the path of a speeding truck and dying shortly after. So Todd's path was set to become a Now, he practiced conventional medicine for over 20 years, including large and small animals, Air Force public health, Army military working dogs, and USDA field veterinarian, until an illness brought him to a frustrating dead end as a result of stroke and seizures. His medical team could offer nothing but drugs or the option of splitting his brain in half with a laser. He opted out and began to pursue alternative options, eventually finding homeopathy, which began to help him heal. He then did Dr. Pitcairn's professional course in veterinary homeopathy, which changed everything for him. From 2008 to 2009, he immersed himself in studying homeopathy and began to use it in his practice and started to see amazing results. He now works in his integrative practice in Kokomo, Indiana, where he practices 100% homeopathy and offers distance consulting for those further afield. You can find out more about Todd at www.naturalanimalconsulting.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to speak with Dr. Todd Cooney in Indiana, USA. Welcome, Todd. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Thank you. It's lovely to have you on because our listeners love using homeopathy with their animals. It's definitely some of our top episodes. People are just so excited that they can not only help their own family, but also their pets. And of course, when you talk to them about using it on their plants, that's a whole other ball game. But I'm so excited for us to talk about that today. And I have my two doggies here lying by my feet today. I'm sure they're going to love listening in as well. But I wonder if you can tell our listeners how you were first introduced to homeopathy. Sure, I can. I I've been in practice for over 35 years, but my first introduction to homeopathy came as an undergrad. And I had a history of medicine class, and they mentioned homeopathy for maybe five minutes. You know, that was about it there. And then my next brush with homeopathy was serving in the military. I was stationed in Germany, and I learned that some of the German veterinarians there use homeopathy, and I didn't know what it was, you know, so I was curious, and I talked to some of the local people and found out a little bit about it, but then I forgot it again. I went back to the States, got busy again in work and didn't come up again for another 10 years or so. And then I had a health crisis of my own, which forced me to kind of think outside of the box with treatment options. And that's really when I found homeopathy. And and then I uh, fell in love with it. I just wanted to study it and learn it, use it in practice. So that was that was around 2008 when I took the training, and then I've been using it ever since. And uh, it's it's taken over how I do. It's taken over how I do practice. Really, it's mm-hmm. most of what I do. I love that. And and why do you feel that it's taken over the practice? So what do you see? What has led you to use homeopathy over more the conventional treatment for your animals? Well, I, I used conventional treatment for over 20 years, really, and so I was at the point where I was frankly frustrated with that even before my own health crisis happened. And 
and then I became more frustrated with my own treatment. Mm-hmm. So as, as I started to get better on my own, I realized that I really needed to learn how to do this for animals. And so I think why it dominates now is because it, it just dominates my thinking and mm-hmm. my whole worldview as far as medicine. And I, uh, it's my first choice whenever I have faced with a problem or a sick animal, that's what I think of first. And then, uh, we work hard to make that work. And if it doesn't work, then sometimes we have to resort to conventional drugs, but mm-hmm. it's not very often. It's, most of the time we can find a solution with homeopathies. Amazing. And why animals? What do you enjoy about, about treating animals? Oh, I've just always loved animals, nature, just being around animals. My first thought was to be a wildlife biologist before I went into veterinary school. And I envisioned living out in the wild somewhere, studying animals, not being around any people, right? (laughs) I like people, but I wanted to be a wildlife uh, hermit, really. But Mm. that that didn't go as planned, but I still enjoy it. And I love, uh, you know, I think I love the difference between animals and people. There's a big difference. There's a lot of similarities, but there are a lot of things that are very consistent with animals and they don't fake things. They don't fake the mm. feelings usually. They're very honest in how they uh, treat you. They're very honest in how they react to things. And they're honest in how they react to remedies. They either have a good response or they don't. And mm. so there's not much of a placebo effect to worry about with the animals. Mm. Oh, I love animals myself. My mom was a huge animal lover. So we grew up with an African gray parrot. We had squirrels growing up because I grew up in South Africa. I really miss them here in Australia. So we had squirrels as pets. We had fish. We had always dogs and cats. Mm. And yeah, at the moment, I've got chickens as well. We always grew up with chickens. I used to take my chickens to bed with me at night. Yeah, um, yeah, so I do love that's animals funny. and they've got such incredible personalities as well. It's Oh, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, we've they got two, two cats and well, and our two dogs. Their personalities are chalk and cheese. They're so different. And that's oh, yeah. where I think yeah. homeopathy is so, so amazing because you can really use that mental, emotional component, I guess, in your prescribing as well. Oh, hey? oh sure. Yeah. 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 And you can, you can see, you know, and I, I'm not impressed if someone tells me animals don't have emotions because I don't think it's true. And and uh, you you can see personalities, you can see emotions in animals. And a lot of times it, it can help with selecting remedies. And, mm-hmm. and you can see disorders of emotions too. You can see anger, jealousy, fear. You can see a wide range of things that happen during illness. And it's amazing to watch that change. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm just thinking our oh, one cat is so cheeky. We've got a younger cat and an older cat. The younger one's always like trying to be cheeky with the older cats and chasing her around. And then we've got this chicken. I'm sorry. I just have to share the story that actually we had like <laughs> well, 10 good. of our chickens that got killed by a fox and only one survivor. Oh, and no. then one of our, we had two sheep and one got killed and the other one survived. And this chicken and the sheep became best friends and they just followed each other around everywhere. And, you know, it just made me realize that they might be different species, but they also have that craving for connection. And what's yeah. even more interesting, yeah. Todd, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but our chicken started crowing. So she lays eggs and she is now crowing as well because all her friends are <laughs> gone. So I think she's like, okay, I'm taking on the male and the female role. <laughs> she's filling both roles. Yeah, that's yeah, funny. Absolutely. That sounds like a good uh, sounds like a good theme for a children's book. It does. Ooh. Okay. Well, you've put it on yourself now. You're going to have to write it. <laughs> now, an area that I really love for animals is, you know, I think it's a tricky one. A lot of people often wake up when they their child has a vaccine reaction 
And then often after that, they go down the natural medicine route. But then they also go, hey, well, why should I go and take my pet for a vaccination? Because I actually suspect that my pets became allergic to grass after they had their vaccination. Mm. So is that something you can talk to us about, maybe about how vaccinations act in animals and what sort of things you see in clinic and what options we have in homeopathy? Absolutely. Yeah, that's and that's funny you mentioned that because that's that's a scenario I see so many times, especially if I'm meeting someone for the first time. You know, a lot of times they'll say something like, you know, we uh, we don't believe in vaccines for ourselves. You know, we don't vaccinate mm-hmm. our children. We don't vaccinate ourselves. But we were continuing to vaccinate our animals because we thought we had to. We didn't know there were other options. And then so it, it dawns on them that, hey, we can do this for animals, too. So, yeah, the whole idea, I mean, in conventional practice, I knew that vaccines were not risk-free. I knew that they carried some potential danger, but I, I had no idea of the magnitude of it. You know, I didn't realize they were responsible for most of the chronic health trouble that we see mm-hmm. in our daily practice. I mean, most of it we see is probably man-made illness that's caused a lot by vaccines, mm-hmm. some of it by other things too, chemicals and drugs, but a large portion of its vaccines, I think, and um, I, I think the reason that's true is because of the effect that it has on the immune system. And um, uh, my, I went to a vet school called Purdue, which is in Indiana. And there's, if you Google the Purdue vaccine study, you'll you'll see an article most likely connected to Dogs Naturally magazine, which is uh, it's a study done in the '90s at Purdue, and it's the only study of its kind that I've ever seen. And, the funny thing is now, if you look for the original study, it's hard to find it online. Um, but So they took a litter of pups, though, and they gave them each one vaccine, a common vaccine the puppies get, the distemper parvo combination. Uh, and then they checked them, they monitored them compared to a placebo group, which got a, like a saline injection. And what they did is they, it was interesting because they checked for autoantibodies. So they checked for immunity against the the body itself. And what they found was pretty amazing because they found that in the placebo group, none of the puppies developed autoimmunity, zero. And in the vaccine group, 100% did, all of them did. And they didn't just develop immunity to just a few proteins. They developed immunity to almost major every major protein in the body collagen, fibronectin, heart protein, blood cells, Mm. even their own DNA. They developed immunity to almost every protein of the body. So this was um, pretty earth-shaking research, really. And I didn't even know it when it came out. I wasn't aware of it until I took the homeopathy training. And the homeopathy training I took was under Dr. Richard Pitcairn. And he was our teacher. We were fortunate enough to have him for the whole year. And it was one of the last classes that he really taught all by himself. And then he started having assistants Mm -hmm. teach. But the third session of that course was devoted totally to vaccine damage, vaccinosis, and and the idea of vaccinosis, the history of it, um, how it presents in practice, how it affects animals, how to treat it, and of course, how to avoid it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how to try to avoid it in the first place. So that that was a life-altering thing for me to learn that, learn all of that information, and then to take that back into my practice life where I was used to vaccinating and didn't really know there was an option. So, mm. yeah, that's probably been one of the major things that has come out of the homeopathy training for me was these 
realization about vaccines. And that's the thing. A lot of people just don't know that there are options. And I think if you just present people with the options and tell them the pros and cons of each, then they can make up their own minds. But I read a study once that showed that the likelihood of a tumor developing at the injection site of an animal is very high. And the conclusion Mm. of this study that I read was to vaccinate in the tail of the animal because that's easier to amputate <laughs> and i was like well if that's, oh, yeah, your well, that's way a great of, idea yeah it's like <laughs> um maybe just think a little bit further like you know you you're getting um, there you're getting there but just think a little bit further yeah. that's better maybe but not quite <laughs> and my yeah. first thought about when i saw that advice i thought okay how would you like to stick a needle in the end of a cat's tail and see how they react to that <laughs> It's it's hard enough to be sneaky injecting anywhere else on a cat's body, but to stick it in the tip of the tail, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And something you know, else that I found cat. interesting yeah. is that apparently the doses for vaccines are not adjusted according to the animal size. So like a vaccine for a chihuahua would be the same as for a Great Dane. Is that right? Well, that's how it's labeled. And the dogmatic people on the conventional side say that is right. You can't change that because they need this total antigen dose to build immunity. But there have been a lot of studies recently showing that it's not right, that it is, it can be weight related and it can be adjusted according to weight. So like the two pound chihuahua can get a smaller dose and still develop effective immunity compared to the Great Dane who gets the full dose. And so in most vets that have been practicing a while have seen all this happening with full doses of vaccines and tiny little animals having really bad reactions, sometimes life-threatening, sometimes ending in death. And it's pretty sad when you vaccinate a perfectly healthy animal and a day or two later, it's dead. That's, that is heartbreaking for everybody, not just the owner, but the veterinarian too. So what would a vaccine injury in an animal look like? Because with humans, at least, especially when they're older, they can tell you they feel unwell or with baby, maybe not so much. But what would that look like in an animal? So obviously um, they may, it can lead to death as well, but like more, the the more subtle things, like what sort of things can people look out for? Yeah. Well, yeah. And the obvious one, the one that most people are aware of, including veterinarians, is the anaphylactic, you know, the shock reaction Mm -hmm. that happens pretty quickly, like within the first few hours. And that's the one that can be really serious and life-threatening. But that's not very common. The more common thing, I think, is the low-grade inflammation that results, Mm -hmm. the hard-to-detect immune dysfunction that results that's long-lasting. And I think the main thing, the main way it manifests in animals, especially our pet animals, our dogs and cats, it manifests in symptoms of allergies Mm -hmm. and other symptoms of chronic autoimmune dysfunction, similar to allergies. In dogs, it's like hypothyroid problems, inflammatory bowel problems, but mostly itchy skin, itchy ears, which is the number one reason dogs go to the vet. That's the main reason. And we know that now because of insurance data. We have a lot of good data from insurance companies about numbers of claims. And so itchy skin, itchy ears is always the number one reason. So, yeah. And and cancer never used to be in the top 10. Like when I was in vet school in the 80s, cancer was low on the list. Now it's in the top 10, maybe the top five. Yeah. So it's, it's crept up there in the rankings Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of theories about why that is so, but I suspect that our tendency to over-vaccinate is up there pretty high on the list of reasons. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I always think if there's a dog that's allergic to grass, I'm like thinking 
evolution would not have made you allergic to grass because as a dog, it's in your best interest to have a good relationship with grass and not be allergic to it. So evolutionary, that doesn't make sense. So we've got to ask what's causing this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very unnatural. I mean, for dogs to be allergic to grass Mm -hmm. or for dogs to be allergic to chicken or any kind of protein, really. Yeah. So what I've heard uh, some immunologists say is the dog gets vaccinated and then becomes allergic to life. <laughs> and that's that's a pretty good way, I think, to mm-hmm. because it's pretty realistic. Some of these al- allergy panels that come back, the dogs react to almost everything on the panel, whether it's environmental or food or mm. chemical, they're reacting to everything. So mm. it can be really a tough thing to deal with. And the way the conventional world has dealt with it is developing more and more different kinds of drugs that are more targeted to the immune system, other than just using steroids, uh, cortisone type drugs, which was the Mm. traditional thing, you know, numb down the immune response and uh, deal with it that way, but not really fixing the problem. So... Exactly. And I guess yeah. all the glyphosate, we call it Roundup over here. I'm, I don't know if it's the same brand name over there, but oh, yeah. The, the gly- same yeah, thing. the glyphosate that they I've spray seen. on the grass, that's probably not going to help the dogs yeah. as well, you know, licking their paws no. and rolling it in. And, oh, and yeah. I don't know what the exactly. deal is over there, but in, in Australia, you know, the council will go around and spray glyphosate on all the po- in all the parks. And only while yeah. they're spraying, there will be a sign there saying danger, glyphosate spraying in process. And once they've done, they take that sign with them and they go. So if you are taking your dog for a walk five minutes after they left, they've got that full dose. They're licking themselves. It's on their fur. It's still there, right? Yeah. Well, it's so persistent, just persistent in the environment. And some people say it's going to be there for a long time and it's in the food chain and it's really hard to avoid anymore. It's bad over here too. It's bad in the States and the way they use. One thing I learned not too long ago is they use glyphosate during harvest, pre-harvest, they spray it. Yeah, they spray it to kill. Well, it actually kills the plant that they're harvesting, so it makes it easier to harvest. And they do this with soybeans, with wheat, I think. And someone wonders why that. That's one of the reasons why we see so many uh, soybean and wheat allergies now where we didn't see that before. Exactly. Well, we we live in an area here in Perth. I live in this area called the Wheat Belt. And so there's loads of wheat belts, loads of canola fields. And I can understand Mm -hmm. why they do it because you can see the wheat uh, actually ripening at different stages. You can see the patches. So they spray the Roundup over that and then they know all of it is going to die at the same time and then they can harvest it. So. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. It, yeah, it what makes we're doing. it it makes it more yeah, it makes it more uniform and everything. Yeah. You know, modern agriculture is geared toward making it more uniform, I think, making mm. it easier. And uh, you know, in some ways that makes sense, but it would be nice if there are <laughs> ways to do this besides glyphosate, right? <laughs> exactly. And Now, Todd, if somebody is listening to this podcast and they go, oh, wow, you know, I didn't feel right about vaccinating my animal all the time anyway, but what are, what other options are there? What would you say to them? Well, the first option would be don't vaccinate at all. And your animal has an immune system. Surprise. (laughs) the, The immune system is a wonderful thing, right? No matter what you've heard about it, it's, it's very good. And if it's untampered with, untampered immune systems usually are very good. Ones that have been tampered with through vaccines or other means tend to be less than optimal. And But you you can't really improve. I mean, contrary to what science scientists say, you can't really improve immunity with vaccines. Compton Burnett, the British homeopath, I think he said it very well in his book on Thuya and vaccinosis. He said you can't 
take perfect health and make it more perfect by adding vaccines. So if someone's in perfect health, like a young baby or a young animal, you vaccinate them, you're going to make their health worse. You know, you're not going to make their health better. And so, but the option not vaccinating doesn't sit well with many people because they want to do something. They feel like, Mm. you know, we need to do something. And I think part of that comes from the uh, habit of vaccinating, feeling like we have this young new life. We have to do something to protect it. We can't just sit here and watch it grow up and feed it good food. And (laughs) so we use no sods to fill that gap where vaccines used to be. And that's how we've raised, that's how we've helped a lot of young animals get off to a good start since, well, since 2008 or so, since I started working this way. Mm -hmm. So I've had about 14 years of doing that compared to my 20 some years of doing vaccines. And the difference is incredible. I mean, at first I was a little nervous about it because the 20 year habit was a little bit hard to just abandon. And I I did it gradually. I did it over about a year, year and a half period where I weaned myself off of the practice of vaccinating and began using no sods. And it took a lot of encouragement from other homeopaths Mm -hmm. that were using no sods. People like Will Falconer and Don Hamilton and mm-hmm. Dee Blanco, other people that held my hand and said, it's okay, it's okay, go ahead, <laughs> dip your toes in the water. <laughs> and so we started doing this and the results were good at first. They were good. They weren't great. But then I, I realized after a while that we needed to change our dosing frequency, our, our schedule of dosing. So we began to give the nosodes weekly instead of we were giving monthly and then every two weeks and still seeing some disease more than I wanted to see. So once Mm -hmm. we started doing weekly though, we saw the disease virtually disappear. We really never see it now. And I used to be afraid to say that out loud because I thought I would jinx myself, but it's true. We just don't see it. Mm -hmm. And this is with thousands of doses. This isn't just with a few animals. This is a lot of animals that we've done this with. So this is nice. And it's nice for a lot of reasons, because first of all, if I have a new puppy come into the clinic and, or a new kitten, and because I mainly see dogs and cats, small animals now, and they're the only ones we vaccinate. If I see a young rabbit or a young bird, we aren't going to vaccinate anyway. But if I meet this new animal for the first time, I don't have to say, hi, how are you? Here's a needle. I'm going to stick it in your body. <laughs> That's not a nice way to make friends. Um So instead, we say, hi, here's a sweet tasting liquid that has a no-sode in it. We're going to give you a drop of this, and then we're going to send the dropper bottle home with your parents, and they're going to continue this at home. And you don't need to come back unless there's a reason, and just keep doing this at home, and your immunity should be fine. It should be great within several months. So that's a much nicer way, I think, to help a puppy or a kitten Mm -hmm. get off to a new start. And people love it. Some people are a little nervous at first if they haven't heard of it. And they're mm-hmm. not sure. They're not sure about leaving behind this familiar vaccine booster schedule that is everywhere. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look online or anywhere, here's what you have to do. You know, have to do this, this, this. You must vaccinate every three or four weeks or, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be bad. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I, I beg to differ. I respectfully beg to differ with that. <laughs> Uh, reasoning because we've seen otherwise. We're living the proof of it right now. You are so brave, Todd, too. I mean, 20 years is a long time. That's That gets so ingrained on you. I mean, all those many years of oh, training to yeah. become a vet, it's so deeply ingrained. And it takes a huge amount of bravery to be able to step outside of that paradigm and embrace a new paradigm. That takes a lot yeah. of 
yeah. It was nerve wracking. Yeah, it really was. But I, I was fortunate to have really good mentors, really good teachers, people leading the way that mm-hmm. had already been there. They'd already been there and done that, you know, and um, yeah, Dr. Ken said that once to me too. He said, you're, you're very courageous. <laughs> I said, I don't feel that way. <laughs> I said, I don't feel that way. But I, I felt like I, I had to burn that bridge. I couldn't keep doing things the same way. Mm. And I knew from what had happened in my own health, my own life, mm. that I had to go a new route and do this other new way too, to, I think, keep my sanity, really. Because mm. at first, I tried to do both. I try, I had one foot in each boat, and the boats were going in different directions. And <laughs> pretty soon, I had to decide which one I was going to stay in. Mm. So Can you that's, maybe... that's where I'm really happiest. That's where mm. I'm happiest, yeah. Yeah, and especially if you have such a love for animals, I can imagine that intuitively even. Like, it would just feel nicer for you giving an animal, you know, something sweet rather than a needle. So, you know, it, oh, just, yeah. it, feel, it just feels right, hey? I'm wondering, yeah, it's God, so much better. For our new listeners, maybe this is somebody's first time they've ever listened to the podcast and this is the first episode they've ever jumped on. Can you tell them a little bit about what a nosode is and what nosodes you might use in the clinic? We've mentioned about nosodes in the past. We've had the lovely Brenda Tobin on speaking about animal homeopathy, but people are always discovering the podcast for the first time. So for the newbies, can you tell them what is a nosode and what sort of nosodes you would use for, let's say, a dog and a cat, because that's what most people have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, so are just homeopathic remedies that are made. There are specific class of remedies, but they're made like other remedies. They're made through dilution and succussion or shaking, and they're prepared in homeopathic pharmacies. These aren't things that I make myself in my basement or in my garage, but they're, we get all of our no-sodes from Hahnemann Labs in California. It's where we happen to get ours. There's many places that they can be obtained. But so a nosode is made from the actual disease or products of the disease. And common nosode we use for puppies, for instance, is the parvo, parvovirus nosode. And so it's made from products of that disease, which are vomiting, diarrhea, blood, and so actual products of the actual disease. And then when that's taken in treated, prepared homeopathically, and it becomes a no-sode, it's potentized just like a remedy. So you have a potency attached to that. So we will have Parvo 30C or Parvo 200C. And we usually use the 200C almost exclusively. This seems Mm. like a good potency for the young pups. And we can also use, Hahnemann Labs has a variety of no-sodes for dogs and cats that we have at our disposal for all the common viral diseases distemper, hepatitis, mm. lepto, which is a bacterial disease, kennel cough, which is a big mm, one in dogs. It's a big one, yeah. On the cat side, there's a feline distemper, feline leukemia, feline infectious peritonitis. So uh, usually when we see a, a young animal for the first time, a kitten or a puppy, we give them a dose of the what Hahnemann Labs calls the combination nosode. So the combination nosode is like all those things added together. Mm, mm. <laughs> and the one for dogs includes distemper, parvo, hepatitis, kennel cough, lepto. Mm. It even includes listen, which is the rabies no soda. Oh, yeah, great. So when we tell people that, they say, well, what's in this? You know, what are we giving my puppy? We tell them that sometimes they get a, a little bit of a frightened look on their face. Like, mm. you know, that seems like a lot. But um, then I say, well, remember, this is a no soda. You know, this is not. This is not a vaccine and mm. it, it won't make your puppy yell. It won't cause any problems or side effects. Mm. And it 
never does. I've never seen any problems mm-hmm. with it. So we use the combination no-sode usually in the younger animals there for a limited time, a month at the most, maybe with a weekly dose. Mm-hmm. And then we switch to Parvo. For puppies, we switch to Parvo. For kittens, we switch to Panleukopenia, which is the Parvo, kitty version of Parvo. In fact, when dog Parvo first appeared in the 70s, they thought it was feline panleukopenia and it, it seemed to be the same virus and they oh, thought oh this has crossed over and crossed into dogs now because it didn't appear until like 1979 it had oh, never wow. been around and uh, a lot of people don't realize that i know I, I didn't, didn't realize know that. that yeah yeah so if you especially the cornell website cornell university in the u.s they have a lot of information about the beginnings of parvo because they they were one of the labs that did some of the early work to discover the virus. So that's a little bit mysterious. How did that happen? And mm. I don't I don't really know. I don't know if anyone really knows. There's different theories, but they're similar to theories of where did COVID come from? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was I know, wondering. I know, we, I know we're not going to go into that right <laughs> now, but... But the theories are similar. <laughs> that it's funny because that um, was actually my first. Yeah, that that sort of analogy. I was thinking, oh, it's probably from there. <laughs> it doesn't just come out of yeah, nowhere. Yeah. So there, mm. there's some rabbit trails you can go down. Yeah. You know, searching for the origins of Parvo, and there some <laughs> okay. of them are interesting. Some of them are funny. Another but, book for you to write. <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah. At least an article. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, those. So that's. The original question, I think, was what would we do? Yeah. But there are no sodes for other things, too, like in dogs. Uh, in North America, one of the big uh, things people worry about with dogs is heartworm, which mm. is a parasite that's transmitted by mosquitoes. So mm. most dogs will be urged to take some sort of conventional medication to prevent this from becoming a problem. Mm. And we have a heartworm no-sode, which mm. works great. And so people can do that instead of the conventional medicine. And that that one really makes folks nervous too, you know, because heartworm, they know is a real thing because they saw the heart, the dog's heart sitting in the jar on the counter at the vet clinic with the heartworms coming out of it. Wow. And so they know, you know, if there's a lot of fear-based um, mm. encouragement towards heartworm, but... Well, we have had great luck with heartworm no-sode in the decade or so. We've used it. Some of my practicing friends have used it for 20 or 30 years with great results before I started. So that's mm. that's quite a bit of clinical experience, you know, mm. but but you can't look up really drug companies' research on heartworm no-sode and mm. see how it's gone. It's mm. just all through. It's similar to the other forms of homeopathy, you base it more on clinical results. Clinical experience, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. My my clinic actually sells a, a homeopathic immunization kit for doggies as well, and we also have heartworm in there. Mm-hmm. And amongst things, we also have a tick remedy in there as well, because in Australia we have a lot of ticks for oh, animals yeah. as well. And we've also got a like a flea prevention and flea treatment remedy with Staphylococcus and Ledum and a few oh, things nice. like that. But do you? Oh, do nice. You, do you treat, treat much tick disease in animals over there? I don't know if you have ticks where you are. We don't have a lot in the area where I am, so mm-hmm. we're fortunate. But if you go a little south of us or north of us, the ticks are worse. So sometimes mm-hmm. we see ticks where dogs have traveled into a different part of the country and picked up ticks. But mm-hmm. we're fortunate. We don't have a whole lot of trouble there. But yeah, tick, there are some tick-borne diseases that can happen to dogs. I'd say they're pretty rare. And there's a lot of controversy about Lyme disease in dogs in the U.S. because I'm of the mind that it doesn't really happen that much in dogs, uh, mm. contrary to what a lot of 
experts say. And uh, one of the reasons I say that is because there have been very few really reported cases of Lyme disease in dogs. And when they tried to cause it intentionally in an experimental setting, they couldn't do it unless they gave the dog steroids and then they oh. could cause symptoms. But the normal healthy dogs in the group didn't have any problem. They didn't, they didn't develop symptoms. They develop antibodies, which means mm -hmm. their immune system is responding to it, but they didn't get ill. You know, they didn't get mm -hmm. the typical symptoms. So, mm -hmm. so anyway, that's, uh, mm -hmm. so, but yeah, just, if you, if I'm just so thinking, worry about Lyme disease. Yeah. I'm just thinking a lot, of, actually, incredibly, even though it's an Australian podcast, most of our listenership is in America. Our listenership is now double what, oh. in America what it is in Australia. And that was actually, oh. I know you were on the lovely, you spoke with the lovely Sue Mayer. And after she was on my podcast, uh, our American listenership exploded. So um, <laughs> wow. I for for people in America that want to access the, the homeopathic immunization, can they get in contact with you directly? Do you do any remote consults? How does it work over there for our American listeners? Oh, oh, sure. Yes, I do. I do remote consults. Um, right now, I right now I spend between eight and twelve hours a week devoted to that, and then the rest of my time is devoted to my day job, my practice job, mm. where I do clinical work. And I'm transitioning more and more toward more consulting and teaching. Though, so over the next few years, it'll probably be more in that direction and less in the uh, clinical direction. Mm. Uh, which is fine with me. I like clinical work, but I feel like I've, I feel like I've had quite a bit of that. So <laughs> I enjoy the consulting, but I have a, uh, I have a website that we uh, set up and it, it's called natural animal consulting and it's just naturalanimalconsulting.com, And that's where you can find me and mm -hmm. people can go to that site. And there's a little button that says schedule a consult. And there's also links just to link to information. What is this about? And mm. talks about me and talks about homeopathy. And so hopefully it answers the questions. And then, and people can also just send an email. A lot of people will submit an email just asking me, do you think this could help my animal? Or, mm. you know, here's what's going on. Can homeopathy help this? Mm. And so I generally say there's a good possibility homeopathy mm. can help, you know. Yeah, no matter no matter what it is. I mean, some cases are very sad, you know, cancer and mm -hmm. some advanced problems. But I think even with those, homeopathy can help the animal have a better life, Absolutely. you know, with with whatever life it has remaining. You know, we can help make it better and mm -hmm. keep them off of drugs and chemo and some of the harsh treatments. And, mm -hmm. and that yeah. is why my T-shirt says, yes, I have a remedy for that. <laughs> because it doesn't matter what it is. We have a remedy for it. <laughs> Might not be able know, to cure it, but we have a remedy to help that, you. Whatever. That's my mantra at work. Yeah, they tease me about that because that's my mantra at work. There's a remedy for that. Well, I kept on getting teased with it. And actually, my ex-brother-in-law once made a very snarky comment to me. And he was like, oh, I bet you have a remedy for that. And I was like, well, actually, yeah, I do. <laughs> and now I'm just owning it. It's yes. like, yes, I do have a remedy for that. <laughs> and one for you, too. <laughs> yeah, well, he's now an ex-brother-in-law, so that's his loss. <laughs> okay. Oh, well. um, okay. Now, uh, speaking of your website, your website's beautiful. One of your pages, you have this beautiful wave rolling in. And I was actually like staring at the page, just watching this wave yeah. rolling in and out. Yeah. And I, I I don't know how that happened. I can't take credit for that. I think um, 
I think my wife helped set that up, but I didn't. I didn't do that. Oh, it's but beautiful. I, it is it's, nice. It's really nice. Yeah. So, uh, Todd, Todd, is there any final message that you want to leave our listeners with, and any final yeah way that they can get hold of you? You mentioned the website, but just if there's anything else that how people can get hold of you, and what message yeah. you want to leave them well, with. Yeah, and they can also email me directly. The uh, email is similar to the website. It's naturalanimalconsulting at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So just those three words together, mm-hmm. all lowercase, gmail.com. And um, many people will contact me that way the first time before they schedule a consult. They just mm-hmm. they want to test the waters a little bit, just see if this is what they want to do. And I, I try to be very uh, available to people. So I, I respond to calls and texts throughout the day and I, I stop usually when I sleep at night, but then, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm available a good bit of the time, and I mm-hmm. I really do enjoy it. So, and I would say to people, you know, go with your instinct. If you're feeling like whatever you're doing isn't right for you, or you don't mm-hmm. like the way it is for your animal, seek out the option because there are other options out there. There, not just homeopathy, but there are a lot of alternative treatments where people can help by other means than conventional medicine. So mm-hmm. it, it really is a real thing. It does exist for animals and and I'd say it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the animals respond so well to homeopathy. I'm always blown away from my rooster to yeah. the cat, to the dog, yeah. to the sheep. The, the, we yeah. had horses at yeah. one stage. They respond so quickly to homeopathy. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I had a horse, a case with a horse once, and the horse responded within about 30 seconds. Mm. And we were all amazed because we were standing there wondering if we should even try it. And then it was like night and day. This horse just transformed right before our eyes. So satisfying. Um, she was being real. She was being real grumpy, and they were trying to saddle her, and she was acting real touchy and mm. getting a little violent, actually. And so we gave her the remedy, and then we just stood back, and, and she... She became like a like a puppy dog, almost Aww. almost within you know thirty. Uh, you know, let the person come up and saddle her and just acted normal again. Mm. So it was amazing. Yeah, how satisfying! Hey, it's just it's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It is great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Todd. I really appreciate it, and I really hope more people start. You know asking questions about how they can treat their animals more holistically as well, because we know that they will love it and appreciate it. Oh, yeah, I think they will, too. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, Such a pleasure. 